You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. I'm so sorry I missed last week. Uh, we've had our bathroom renovated, which has been a very exciting project, but it did mean a lot of very loud construction even over the weekend, and I couldn't find time to make a recording. But this uh, April 2023 happens to be one of those months which has five Sundays in it, so I was planning on skipping one of them. Uh, I just got it out of the way quite early. I apologise for leaving you hanging. Our current serial is Of Knives and Night Blooms. Chapter 4 Beneath the Hanging Market Dio had never felt so confused in his life. Everyone in the cabin except for himself and Calix's daughter looked like they wanted to kill each other. He was trapped on a boat with some of the most dangerous and startlingly attractive people he'd ever met. At Calix's command, the pale pink ribbons wriggled and shivered off the wrists of her prisoners, disappearing back into the bed. The assassins all eyed her with suspicion. Valeria moved at once, testing whether she could leave the bed and walk as far as the wall of the cabin. Mardi made herself more comfortable on the pillows and glared. Icarus stood up. Since you've decided to be reasonable, I request that you let the boy go. He has no part in this. He's not a priest. He isn't even a gladius as if Dio needed further reminder that he was not supposed to be here, had no place anywhere. Yet, he said sullenly, Icaros gave him an impatient look. You're not helping. Calix faced off against Icaros, beautiful and unrelenting. I think you misunderstand the situation. My priority is to keep my daughter safe. Currently, that means travelling to the city Phoenix Burning. If there is still one priest of the Black Raven out there trying to kill me, I expect all of you to defend me, to the death, even the boy. Yes, Icarus said slowly, I understand. And because this is an extremely powerful magical bond... I appear to be invested in getting you safely to the other end of this river, even if that means betraying my god. Calix gave him a thin smile. My heart weeps for you. But the boy, he started again. Dio groaned inwardly. Twenty-two years old, he wanted to say again. But he was sick of those impatient looks the assassin kept giving him, like he was a bother to be shoved out of the way, to safety, of course, for everyone's convenience. Calix looked just as impatient. What do you want me to do, drop him over the side? He stays. Icarus nodded thoughtfully, as if finally accepting her word. You'll need to register a complaint. Excuse me, Calix replied. At the next shrine of the Black Raven, I'll go with you. It's your best chance of finding out who took out the hit. You're going to help me? Icarus's eyes darkened. 
Does your magic not compel our service? We are bound to you. What do you need? Calyx glowed with power. Something golden pushed into Dio, into all of them. He saw the others react as if something had happened to the magical bond, connecting them to their new mistress. You will do everything you can to protect my daughter and to keep us both alive until we reach the palace of Phoenix Burning, Calix said. I will release you once we are safe. Icarus gave the thinnest of smiles. Then we must trust that you will not misuse the power you hold over us. As with everything else he said aloud, it sounded like a threat. Dio had wanted adventure. Of course he had. Why else would he have thrown so much time and effort at his applications for the vigils, despite failing the exam over and over? Service, yes, to his country. He wanted to serve, but he'd always secretly thought that given the right circumstances, he could be heroic. He'd not imagined swearing that service to a foreign petal of the Imperium. But if Calix released him from the magical bond right this minute, it would not take much to convince him to stay anyway. She and her daughter needed protection. He liked to help people. He had no money for the next round of examinations, so it wasn't like he had anything better to do. Once released from the cabin, the servants of the Black Raven prowled the deck, watching everything. They did not raise a hand against their new mistress or make any attempt to escape. They were clearly biding their time, observing everything. Does your mother do this a lot? he asked Nimoy as they sat together leaning against the barge railing. Calix was keen to keep Icaros, Mardi and Valeria away from her daughter, but ignored Dio altogether. He was unimportant in the grand scheme, of course, an accidental member of her protection detail. He pushed away the annoying, whiny feeling of not good enough that often swept over him when these sort of thoughts began. Do what? asked Nimue whose eyes were constantly flitting this way and that, taking in the visions of the river itself and the view of both banks. Compel people to serve her. Nimue laughed shortly and peered at him. Oh, you're serious? Is that normal, not normal for you? He did not want to insult her, but it was hard to imagine. I mean, she said, and waved her hand at the crew. Dio looked again. There was a captain, a first mate, an engineer, and an able seaman running the barge, plus another three armoured men, clearly here for general protection. And now he came to pay attention. There was a sheen about their eyes and a dutiful attention to detail that honestly was not common for barge crews. No swearing. Not one of the men eyed up young Nimue or the striking older women currently prowling the deck. All of them, he blurted out. 
working to keep his immediate horrified reaction off his face. Of course, said Nimoy. She frowned a little, clearly noticing something was up with him. But she did not seem to understand why this revelation might be a big deal. We weren't allowed to bring our own people from the Imperium. Not a single bodyguard. Royalty don't usually hire outsiders like this, but Mama's future husband insisted we bring no one with us. So you wouldn't do this in the Imperium, he said, trying to understand. At your palace or whatever. Nimue didn't seem bothered by his question or to understand why he even asked. We don't need to, she said. Serving the Imperium is an honour. Most of our staff have parents or grandparents in service. My first nursemaid was from a family line who'd served the Imperium for seven generations. So you don't need to put compulsion spells on them, Dio repeated. He could not help but think of his own army of aunties and cousins who worked in service jobs one way or another, earning a pittance usually whether they were pouring tea or scrubbing laundry. Well, said Nimoy, we don't need to, but it's palace protocol for safety. Imagine not having a choice but to serve your master. Not only in the way that most people born to the lower orders had no choice, compelled beyond your own reason. The hand that Calix had wrapped around Dio's heart no longer felt all that benign. Was he going along with this because it was his mistress's will that he accept the magical bond without a fuss? If he was not sworn to her service, would this revelation spur him to action, to rebellion? He'd never rebelled against anything in his life, except the authorities who told him he wasn't good enough to be a vigil. Perhaps he was weak-willed, a coward. Dio glanced up and saw Icaros watching the two of them, a dark shadow against the cream cabin wall. He looked thoughtful but angry. That seemed to be his default expression. Calix's magic was strong, but somehow... Dio did not think that Icaros had accepted their bond quite as docilely as he appeared. Dio once spent a whole summer crewing a barge like the Silken Hare. There wasn't an odd job on the River Divine that he'd not turned his hand to one way or another. Like most of his casual jobs, he'd been so far down the pecking order while aboard, he hadn't even rated a job title other than, Hey lad! He'd grown a few inches since then, but acquired no natural authority to go with them. Dio always needed to scrape coins, in between his attempts at studying. Taking all those examinations was expensive, especially with the extra cost of false identity papers, charm disguises and the like. When he wasn't struggling to push facts into his head, he was hustling to pay for the next set of fake paperwork. The summer he'd spent on the pearly rat, he'd shoveled gleaming moonjade chips that fed the engines, glowing with their soft magics as they disappeared into the chute. He'd scrubbed decks and unfurled night sails and hit the occasional siren over the head with an oar to keep the crew from being lured overboard. 
Obviously no one would have cared if he himself toppled silently into the water. But he'd learned the trick with wax earplugs from the age of twelve. You could certainly say that he had his river legs. He was unlikely to embarrass himself on that score. Today, the silken hair was working to a pre-arranged schedule, booked to dock underneath the hanging market for three hours to refuel and take on supplies for the four-day trip that would end at the city of Phoenix Burning, near the southern coast of the Divine Kingdom. Time enough for Calix to visit the Temple of the Dark Raven and register her complaint, something she seemed quite fervent about. She might fit in a little shopping and a visit to the baths if she was anything like Dio's aunties. She did not look like a lady of leisure, about to enjoy an afternoon in the baths. Calix stood with a soft stole wrapped tightly around her bare shoulders, her shaved head bared to the sky. She watched as the dock workers connected their equipment chute to pour the bright green gems into the bowels of the barge. She stared as if she'd never seen such a process before. Mithrix, said Icaros, appearing at her shoulder, both as if he wished to be of service and as if he wished to startle her with his presence. Also known as Moonjade, mind in our mountains. Your ships run on magic. Calix sounded bewildered by the concept. Ordinary people handle it, not educated mages or royals. Icaros gave her a thin smile. The river is a thirsty wench. Makes the skin itch, doesn't it? Speak for yourself, she said, pulling her stole tighter around her. I find it all quite fascinating. Didn't sound like fascinating was the word she meant, not Dio. Frightening, maybe. I don't like magic, Icaros growled. The only people who say that are the ones who don't have it, said Calix. Exactly my point. The barge's captain crossed the deck towards them, doffing his hat to the petal, with more civility than Dio had ever seen anyone give to a passenger aboard any ship on this river. Are you ready to disembark, ma'am? They've sent a basket down for you. I am indeed, said Calix. Icaros, Dio, you will accompany me up into the city. Captain, keep my daughter safe. As you will, ma'am, said the captain. Ugh, travelling up into the market with Calix and Icaros meant Dio would have to share their mutual dislike at close quarters. Wonderful. If anyone could overcome a powerful magical bond to strangle the sorceress who cast the spell, it would be that man, Icaros. Dio didn't particularly want to have to find out if the magic would force him to stand in his way. Icaros was staring after the captain, mouthing the word mom as if he couldn't quite believe it. Clearly he was familiar with the rough-and-ready style common on barges like this. Calix moved towards the basket that hung directly over the deck. It was a literal basket, sturdy but woven of thick cane and hung from a length of sturdy silk rope. 
It would bear the three of them easily, though they'd be up in each other's faces for a good ten minutes as they were winched into the upper levels of the market. There was an awkward moment as the three of them faced the basket, and then Icaros moved to unlatch the side to allow Calix to step in. His face made it clear that he did not enjoy the fact that he was acting like a servant. Then it flattened out into a smoother, less obviously enraged expression. Dio had no idea what his own face was doing, but he suspected it was something undignified, like sheer terror of them both. So, you're leaving your precious daughter on that barge with a bunch of sailors and my two colleagues, said Icaros, his eyes blazing into those of Calix. No concerns about her safety? None, said the petal of the House of Flowers. Icarus leaned in. Where are your bodyguards, Calix? Where is your retinue? Ladies in waiting, courtly knights to pass you sweetmeats and dainties. Is it normal to travel so light? It was the wish of my betrothed, she said, calm and polite. A condition on our papers being approved to enter this country. Interesting, said Icarus. Your betrothed seems to have little interest in your safety. A small flinch marred Calix's otherwise perfectly placid expression. My betrothed knows how powerful I am, she replied. Icarus nodded, his eyes flashing. So if we are to consider who might have paid good money to sacrifice you to the Black Raven, is he on the list? Calix blinked. That's quite a suggestion, isn't it? It's because of the magic, Dio blurted. The tension between these two was unbearable. It felt like that time one of his cousins was contracted to marry her least favourite of the neighbour's sons. The two of them spent the first two days of the wedding ceremony, sniping so hard at each other that the groom got drunk, propositioned a surprisingly violent bridesmaid and jumped a fence to flee in the middle of the night. To this day, no one in Dio's family had ever heard what happened to the man after that. He was probably still running. What's because of the magic? Icarus demanded, looming over him. Everyone on this ship, Dio said miserably. They're all bonded magically to the petal. I hardly think this is of any importance, said Calix. Icarus stared at her. This is a hired barge. You turn it into a slave ship. Why? Calix did not appear to understand why he might object. Standard protocol, she said, tilting her head. And there. That was what Icarus the Hand looked like when he was speechless. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards 
early ebooks and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Thank you.